0: the truth is i don't even like running i mean y'all know that anyway but i love the feeling of pushing myself and giving my training a real purpose that's why i like to do things like spartan races they are the perfect tests of all-around athleticism they have 5k 10ks even halves and ultras but with obstacles along the way even throwing spears cardio meets strength and purpose try it out use code spartan dad and you can get 25 percent off any spartan race it'd be fun let me know you're doing it i'll go try and do one with you it's a lot of fun it's a great time use code spartan dad for 25 off a race have fun plans for the outdoors make the memories last with the best outdoor coolers and drinkware celebrating 10 years of cool orca was founded in 2012 born from the idea of making a hard-sided cooler that beat out all the rest Orca coolers are built to be as strong as the adventures you take them on. That's why they have a lifetime warranty while giving you world-class maximum temperature retention. Orca's drinkware offers the same high quality, keeping your drinks icy cold or hot for hours, and they look great while doing it. Their stainless steel vacuum-sealed tumblers and martini cup are perfect companions for your next outdoor adventure. Go to OrcaCoors.com backslash bourbon for 15% off your order. That's OrcaCoors.com backslash bourbon for 15% off. Orca, make it last. Today's show is also sponsored by our friends at distilleryproducts.com. If you are a store, you're a group, you're a blog, you're a podcast, you're a distillery, whatever it is, you need laser edge glassware at wholesale prices. Reach out to me. I'd be happy to get you in touch with the whole family behind distilleryproducts.com doing amazing things. We use them. You should, too, at distilleryproducts.com.
1: So, you know, I was in Knoxville for the weekend, and I don't use, you know, social media too much. I like my personal accounts, but occasionally. So the buddy I'm rooming with points out that, He's like, is that a Hellman's mayonnaise packet in the air vent? I'm like, what in the hell is this kid talking about? So I look later and sure enough, it is. So I'm going to take a picture because I don't keep up with social trends. I don't know what's really going on. Like just some kind of prank thing this is what people are doing. Get a few various responses that are pretty funny. And I'll actually uh, give kudos. I thought the best one came from your wife of all people. She says, you're in UT country. That's what they use for lube.
0: Honey, did you text Zeke? Yeah <laughs> Hello. Hello everyone. My name is John Edwards with me as always is Zeke Baker. And together we make the dad's drink of bourbon wherever you are, whatever time it is. Thank you for making us a part of your day. I have just texted my wife and asked her, you told Zeke what? We'll see what she says. Welcome to Dad's Drinking Bourbon. How are you, my friend, Zeke Baker? Alive and kicking. Well, we have a very special guest tonight. And for any of you that have heard the buzz about this distillery, the buzz about this release, our friend Brett Atlas from Bourbon and Banter came out of retirement. He came out of review retirement just to review this Ben Holiday Missouri Straight Bourbon Whiskey that this gentleman that is on with us tonight distills. And that's Kyle Merkline, master distiller at McCormick Distilling. If it's not confusing, they put out Ben Holiday Bourbon. It is McCormick Distilling. Like the grill mates, welcome <laughs> to Dad's Drinking Bourbon.
2: Thanks. Yeah, that, that was honestly the best introduction, I think, of any podcast I've done so far. So with this whole media blitz, by far and away the best intro on that.
0: I feel <laughs> terrible. Thank you for that. I feel terrible because I know Noel <laughs> has been trying to get you on with us forever. This has kind of been a crazy summer for a whole host of family reasons for both Zeke and I. And so I just want to say apologies for the delay. Sometimes good things are worth the wait. So you got it in the intro and and we're happy to have you.
2: Thanks. It's uh good things are worth the wait and the, you know, Ben Holiday bourbon is waited six years. So you know I'm I'm good at waiting. I can I can wait around for a little bit of time.
0: There's so much I want to talk to you about with this whiskey and and with not only, I mean, I want to talk about you and and how you got here, but the whiskey itself, yes, it's bottled and bonded it's a hundred proof, but it's six years old. Mm -hmm. You waited, you could have put out a four year and you release it. A craft distillery is putting it out at 60 bucks. I always kind of feel like when you're going 10 bucks a year, nobody can really yell at you for anything. Yeah. Congratulations. Like, thank you.
2: Yeah yeah thanks no it's a it's been a a lot of fun over the last few months obviously a lot of prep going into this and so yeah with you know the intro with where do i work let's even start with that so yeah mccormick distilling is the uh, name of the company and we kind of rebranded the distillery as the holiday distillery uh when we started back with our bourbon production you know for those that don't know about our company we actually have been on site since 1856 so we have we were founded by a man named Ben Holliday. That's why the the whiskey is appropriately named Ben Holiday, uh, bourbon. He and his brother, David, came up from Kentucky, and they they knew about bourbon, and they had read that Lewis and Clark found Limestone Springs on site. And so they came to, to Kentucky, started the distillery, Ben Holliday. He was involved in a lot of different things, and so he didn't do the day-to-day. David ran it day-to-day. And Ben, he had a, a stagecoach. Uh, empire. He was known as the stagecoach king, uh, largest private employer in the United States back in the mid 1800s for a a short time. And so, you know, he had all those things going on. The the reason why stagecoach king is important, you see that on the bottle as well on the front label, there's that stagecoach. He later sold that off to a company, the financial institution that used it as their logo, Wells Fargo. uh, And then he invested in railroads. Over the course of time, uh, ownership of our distillery had had changed hands a handful of times. And, you know, up until Prohibition, uh, we produced, and then short break obviously, during Prohibition, started back up. And that's where we got the name McCormick Distillery. A new ownership group bought us again in 1993, kind of expanded our portfolio, a lot of vodka, a lot of bottled products. And then, you know, the bourbon trend was coming back and people actually like bourbon again. And so uh, we started back up again, producing in 2015, 2016 timeframe and have been sitting and waiting on it. And so, you know, that's a lot of the history, but that, that leads into... How could we do that, Uh, right? So for the last 30 plus years, we've been building a portfolio of brands. We have vodkas, we have gins, uh, you know, a handful of different offerings that uh, could help support us while we did this. And the ownership group, the board kept, we kept tasting this and sampling it and, and presenting it to everyone And the decision was ultimately made, like, you know, we want to, we want to keep waiting and try to bring back our historic taste profile from 30 plus years ago when we shut down bourbon production. That kind of overall is the idea behind it. With this release, a lot of what we're doing, I kind of mentioned it, a lot of what we're doing is to bring back our historic thing, what we were doing. So when we shut down production in 1985, we kind of shuttered up the distillery and you know closed doors, we we kept the rick houses there, the distillery, the, the old building was there, limestone spring was all there. Everything was still there, but it was just shut down. And you know, we we brought that all back to life. We used that historic mash bill um that we had and went back to all those records and dug those out and and really tried to bring back what we, we could with that that production style and that that mash bill recipe that we were doing. And so that's really what this is is kind of an ode to the past and and bring back this old style and old brand that we've had in a new format for, you know, today's consumer.
0: I appreciate you continuing to go as I cleaned <laughs> up, I uh mistakenly knocked over some of your precious whiskey on my table <laughs> and all over my computer that's in oh, front nice. of me. So uh got to roll with the punches, but Yep. Going back to like, the very beginning, there's so much you said in there.
2: I, I covered a lot. You did just everything real quick. You know the tour. It's over. Yep, we're good now. Taste the bourbon and and go on your way. So
0: you're like, this is going to be the quickest podcast I've ever <laughs> done. I just gave the whole story.
2: Gave the whole story. No follow ups. We're good. We're good.
0: Now. I love these stories about old brands. Like you wouldn't even know it, but here in. Nashville you know what Mead, which is now Nelson Brothers he owned what eventually became Maxwell House Coffee at the same time that he started Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery and it's like you know you look at Ben Holiday it's like all the stuff I mean you didn't even mention the fact that everything turned into Pony Express and All the other fun, like all these brands that we know as big brands. Yes, there's the Wells Fargo thing, but I don't think uh, Ben Holiday would have appreciated them opening up extra accounts for their customers. But he would have appreciated the fact that they're using the stagecoach as their logo. Yeah.
2: He really is a fascinating character, and it's it's crazy to think about all the different things that he had uh, had going, and then conversely, the only thing left standing of his legacy really is, is our distillery. There's no other businesses or things that he invested in that, that exist. And so it's kind of a, a cool, again, a very cool backstory. And it's one of those characters that you could see making a bourbon brand around, but we don't have to make it up because he really is the founder of our facility. Like we, we actually know that he was there in that, you know, still house in that cave and had that stagecoach line. He could have been loading up barrels of whiskey to send out West, uh, in those stagecoaches. So yeah, it's a, it's a cool for sure, you know, and, and that's just the founders and I'm sure all of the owners over the course of the 160 years or so that we've had it have a similar interesting story as well
0: what i don't understand though is what took your group so long to actually capitalize off of that name i mean you think with some of the stuff that has been going on it's like yeah we kind of started this in 2016 you would have thought that this would have been maybe a 2008 kind of thing like
2: yeah that's uh A good point. Um, I I selfishly will counter that if they hadn't taken so long, it probably would not have worked out for me to be uh, at the company. So I'm glad they glad they waited until the point that they did. So uh,
0: that is a great segue. It's like you've done this before. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into distilling and then how your paths merge with McCormick distilling to get you there.
2: My bra- background, I, I grew up in on a farm in small town, northwest Kansas with, you know, typical farm life. And, uh, I you know, I, I didn't drink, believe it or not. And I didn't drink in, in high school. I wasn't one of the kids that went out to a party. I was, you know, I guess studying math and science. I don't know, doing something lame. Went to went to college, you know, and my dad my dad said, Hey, don't, don't, don't come back and take over the farm. I'm tired of relying on weather. Like this sucks. I I just, it'd be nice to have an income. So you should go do something where you can have an income. So I, I went to K state, Kansas state university, went for engineering growing up on a farm, being a math person. I, I don't talk to people. I don't like talking to people. So here I am talking on podcasts and interviews, but, uh, yeah, it's, I thought engineering, that's good. I can, I can do that. I like math and science. So went to biological and agricultural engineering, which is kind of working with grains. And that that kind of kept me in the ag industry, went and made biodiesel right after I graduated. And that was boring. So I went back, got a master's, focused with the research was on fermentation engineering, uh, master's in biological and agricultural engineering as well. So uh, went and did that. After I did that, went and worked and made neutral spirits. And then at that point, timing was right. So the the Job came open with, you know, producing bourbon and it's, you know, 20 minutes from my house and apply and, you know, went from there. So it was obviously I had to have the technical background and that's what I focused in on and learned from. And then the rest really is luck. You know, the fact that they didn't capitalize on Ben Holiday in 2008 and and bring in someone else and the fact that that job was open, like that, that part, I will fully acknowledge luck played to my advantage there.
0: What was it like with the, the neutral spirits? I mean, basically that's gotta be a little boring
2: a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You just focus in on making uh as much. Product as possible getting your highest yields as possible and it was uh it was a large facility industrial size and you know continuous fermentation continuous cook 24 7 facility and so it was obviously necessary for the alcohol industry to have good providers making you know that high quality neutral spirits but it's not fun removing everything you know all the flavor uh, that's that's what you're removing and so kind of counter to the goal of what we're what we're doing in bourbon so it but it was it was good to prepare me for that that field this field and and industry as a whole so
0: what then brought you over i mean you weren't a big drinker in high school and what got you into actually drinking
2: for me it was i joke and she doesn't take it too well i say my the reason is my wife she <laughs> got me to drinking but Uh, She actually did. She kind of pushed me a little bit to get out of my comfort zone and then, uh, you know, actually go to parties and whatnot. But then really actually coming home, uh, meeting her Her dad and he he drank bourbon. Uh and so I guess started drinking the bourbon and and it's like, yeah, I actually I actually really like this stuff. And and then he would try buy different things. And this was back when you could actually buy different things and you could find everything in small town Kansas, even right. And so uh he would just pick up a few bottles and we'd come back, come back and visit and try different ones. And it it just kind of escalated from there and had Christmas parties where we'd have the bottle share or whatever and so it was it just kind of went from there and so really that's kind of the the introduction and so for me i think like a lot of people i really appreciated the the craft and the additional work that went into bourbon and how each one could be slightly different. And you could notice the differences in the different brands or even within the same brand and the different, you know, offerings. And then you just go down the rabbit hole like you do in bourbon and it's just goes from there. So I, I think that's really what got me to it.
0: When you went over to McCormick, were they already planning on doing the bourbon or was this something that you kind of nudged them to do because of your newfound love for bourbon?
2: It was already in process. And, you know, credit to a lot of our team that's still there is it was already installed and we had worked with some consultants and got everything kind of lined out and and ready to go. And so we were up and running and and able to go from there. And then I was refining it at that point. And so it was more of a, they had started things up and it was looking for someone to take it over full time. And and that's where I came in. So uh, kind of piecing it together as they went, but uh, ultimately did a good job of, you know, selecting everything and starting with it, you know, the, the basics and the background where we, we were uh, from the past and that that laid a good foundation. So
0: for all the dorks listening, what did they go for with the still?
2: Uh, so it's a Vendome uh, 18 inch column still 20 trays. We wanted they they had looked into trying to revive the still that was on site. So back when we distilled in 85, they really did just shut it down. And, and leave it sitting there. Um, we had a Gatewood single still that we had bought from a distillery in Kentucky. We had bought it used in 1972 and we ran it from 72 until 85 and had that 36 inch column still with a doubler. Uh, they only ran during the winter basically. So it was a very short season. So they ran a lot of barrels at a time and, and then shut down for the summers and didn't invest in the cooling towers and any upgrades that would have come about. And so they looked into that heavily, uh, but uh, you know, ultimately was yeah, that's that's going to be very complex. It's going to be a lot of money, a lot of work, and then, yeah, honestly, probably going with the new still is slightly better route. So that's what was decided. Of course, the people providing that guidance also happened to be Vendome. So <laughs> I don't know; it's hard to say.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the old it-
1: one's
2: still there. Yeah, it was, it was still there and we've used it around the facility for decoration. So in our event center, when we, we built that uh, it's now lining the front of the bar. And so you can walk up to the bar and it's the, the still is there. We made some beer coolers out of it and we've, we've placed a few segments, you know, around the distillery that have not been adultered. When you come into the lane, the, the, uh doubler is there marking it and so it's got the holiday logo on it so yeah it's, it's still around it's still hanging out cool piece of our history of really kentucky uh as well so
0: it's there but it's not really there zeke it's like okay. they can't yeah. use it
2: we can't use it no yeah it's i got not, you nah, no that's functional. where i was getting at like if you get real bored one day and just hey, a side project i'm gonna see if i can bring this thing back yeah, I wish. No, it's it's no longer usable. So,
0: And without the cooling towers, they only ran it on days that it snowed. And yeah, yeah. You know, all yeah, that exactly. other fun. But I mean, that's a big, what did you say? That was 36 inch. Yeah, Like the output must have been insane. So also when they were thinking about, do you go with the 18 inch Vendome or do you keep with this 36? It's like, yeah, we're not like a 300,000 case brand right now. I don't think we need to put out more stuff.
2: Exactly. It's uh a, yeah, the quick math shows that you fill up the two Rick houses on site pretty quick with a 36 inch column still running, you know, however many days a week we <laughs> would be going like that would not work out so well. So, but yeah, going with that 18 inch was a, was a good choice. I think for our, our size, our production and where we're at, uh, hopefully, you know, maybe someday it will be upgraded, but obviously for now it it's done, done a good job for us.
0: We know that's going to have to happen. And just if you're listening at home we have eight minutes until zeke's first question so I forgot to tell you this in the pre-show Zeke normally sits around for about 30 minutes and then he's gonna ask you a really profound question you're gonna go oh crap why was this other guy rambling with me for a very long time but I'm going to continue to do that so you said the mash bill has stayed the same the whole time now I know yeah. this mash bill is undisclosed and and I'm not asking for a scoop here but like Give us an ish. Is it high rye? Is it, you know, like low rye? Yeah, Yeah,
2: so it's middle of the road. Uh, how about that? It, it probably would have been considered high rye back in the day, but now obviously people are drinking the, what, 40 plus percent rise in their bourbon. So it's nowhere near that. Honestly, I'll, I'll tell you this, 15 percent rye. So that's that's where we're lining out. And if you want the full one, at, you know, we're, we're not really undisclosed. Uh, you can come on, anyone who's listening to this can come on a tour and I'm pretty sure the tour guides say it. So you can come visit and you'll, you'll hear it uh, on site. <laughs> (laughs) Yeah, 15% rye is what we're using in this. And so that's really going back uh, the historic one and going back to Ben Holliday's ledgers, you know, I I haven't dug through those as much as I did the TTB ledgers from or documentation from the last, you know, from 1940 to 1980s. And so that's what I was basing a lot of what I was doing off of is that the the information that they used in, in all their recordings from the and the logs from back in the day
0: you almost have your log and we were talking about this again before we started recording. I love there's this distiller's journal on the dot com, and it's your kind of ramblings. It's like, You know, this is what I was doing for, and the the one that we have right here, we have batch one of this holiday bourbon. You look through here and you go, okay, it's Warehouse C. I used 100 barrels. 21% of the barrels were from floor one and 79% were from floor five. You have seven floors in total. So this was a higher one, but not too high. All the notes, I'm not even gonna, you know, because we have you here, but all of your notes about what you played around with, the loss that was in yep. like overall, we had a loss of thirty two point seven percent, which was higher than projected. Like this mm-hmm. is all cool info.
2: Yeah, you know we we really focus in on transparency. That's what we want to do with this brand and trying not to hide anything for you know all the the people that want to know all this information. Yeah, here it is. We're we're gonna tell you about it, and so that's a lot of what we're doing. Patrick V is our VP of marketing, and often I think. Marketing gets a bad rap in, in bourbon, but there's probably reason for it. But uh I, I like Patrick, uh, and I hope he doesn't hear me say that, otherwise I'll never hear the end of it. But he actually is a bourbon consumer as well. And so the two of us, you know, we're we're deep into bourbon. We're looking at all of these things and and we're sitting around talking uh in the marketing room. And it's just like, hey, what what can we do? And what can we how can we give information? And so it's let's, let's put out this distiller journal or can we put where the barrels are coming from on the website? Well, and then, you know, that led into why the website, why not the the label? Why not the bottle itself? And so, yeah, we're really trying to give a lot of, lot of information to the consumer about what we're doing and, and let you kind of geek out about all the things that we geek out on about.
0: I agree. Warehouse C where it was aged the largest yep. warehouse on the site, but you said there's only two warehouses. It so left. what was skipped a or B?
2: There is, there is three. Um, so I, I lied, <laughs> but there's only two in my mind that I'm planning on using. So a warehouse is the oldest. It was built or started construction, I think 1897. And it was a small Rick house uh, it had a total capacity maybe about 500 600 barrels so relatively small but w- you know t- about a decade ago converted that over into executive office space, boardroom uh, kind of a entry area for you know anytime we have visitors. so the first floor is you know office space and the top of that Rick house still has ricks and it still is bonded and it's not climate controlled. But it's directly over, say, our president's head, his desk. It's directly over the boardroom. Very nervous about actually going in there and <laughs> whacking barrels. And, you know, not often do you have one get crooked or fall. Like, that's not really a often occurrence. But uh, no, it's in my mind, I'm not planning on using that until and unless they tell me to do otherwise.
0: I got an idea for you, though, just just throwing it out there. So because that's the main building, you can kind of keep 10 barrels in there. And if you eventually do barrel picks, that can be like, you know, because you have the old warehouse kind of vibe. And it's like, all right, we're going to roll 10 barrels in here. We'll keep 10 barrels in here that shouldn't go through the floor. But you could do your barrel pick here. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah. That, that could work. We'll, we'll fill up the other Rick houses. I think though, still first, I don't know. Uh, It's, it's a little nerve wracking, but uh, no. Yeah. So a, we went complete opposite order when we did this, I guess Uh, a is the oldest and it, we're not, not using it currently. B is the next oldest. It was actually in, you know, it had been shuttered for a while and the roof had leaked. And so we actually needed to do a little bit more work in there. So we started then filling up C warehouse to begin with when we first started going back into, into them. So C is what we'll be going or coming from first. And that's where, uh, you know, a lot of the first handful of releases will be coming from first few years, probably. And so that's, that's the, the one that we, we are currently using. So yeah, C warehouse, largest one, newest one um, built in the forties, I believe.
0: I'm looking at this right now. These are traditional wooden Rick houses, there yep. is a great stone building that I think is probably where you're still is held. Yep. But these are, you know, when you look at them, it's exactly what you would look at when you go to Bardstown and you're seeing the seven yep. floor ricks there. I mean, it looks, you know, these are even white with all the, the black mold on the side of them, like you would expect them to look. So this yeah, is we, very uh, traditional.
2: Everything that we're doing is that it's very traditional uh, bourbon. Um, and that's starting from the limestone spring to the column stills and continuing on to the rick houses, you know, that's something, you know, outside of Kentucky, Tennessee, Indiana, I I really don't know that many places that have, have, uh, traditional rick houses like what we have. And so it's, it's something we're glad exists, uh, you know, a previous president was an operations guy and he you know wanted to expand cases and and other products and we weren't doing bourbon and so he thought well you know maybe we should we should tear those down that's a insurance costs a lot of money on those buildings like virus like let's just tear those down so glad that didn't happen because it's it's worked out to our our advantage to have those back uh, on the facility
0: that would have been a pain to keep like to, to get them back. I mean, what's it? Yeah. I think it's like $5 million for each one of those buildings or something crazy.
2: Yeah, it's it's not cheap, uh, especially with lumber prices being as volatile as they have been <coughs> uh, recently. Yeah, we got we always are checking on quotes of things and it's like, oh, yes, you know, whatever the number is now. Oh no, That's doubled now. So just, yeah, steel is more steel is more economical than lumber at this moment in time. Like it, it was just weird for a while. But yeah, not cheap at all.
0: Well, Zeke, it's time.
2: Not
1: have anything profound. I was just gonna say it would be fun to put a you know a couple of leakers up there in that first office with all the office space under it, and just like see how long it takes to uh, matriculate down. And so I was like, "What the hell is this stain? Or what's this dripping on my desk right now?" I don't know, but it smells and tastes pretty good. I'm not gonna complain, probably.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. That's that's a good one.
1: One thing I did kind of think about too. You're talking about McCormick's and the clear spirit space and. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess unlike you two, I could definitely admit in the uh, the early years to consuming a fair amount of McCormick's bottles as best I can remember. I think they're more vodka than mm-hmm. gin, being uh, the age I was, which I won't disclose, but I can remember <laughs> a few of those. Yep. <laughs> I think we even used them for uh, jug fishing as well. You know, three-line little trot, trying to get some catfish late at night, but... <laughs> Something I didn't yeah. think of, and I, I guess it would be before your time, but you know, I kind of thought back and wondered, did anyone ever, I guess, consider the path of Seagram's as far as like, hey, we used to make non-clear spirits and that used to be a big part of the portfolio, but you know, you mentioned 85, like back in the 70s, people weren't drinking it. Like, did they ever get yeah. close to just being like, all right, let's just sell off all of this portion because we don't know or think it's ever going to come back. And we need to you know, make sure our revenue stream is solid.
2: Yeah. I mean, really, the decision, it was a different ownership group at the company previous when we shut down production in, in 85. And so that that company uh, had another bourbon facility. In Illinois. Uh, and so they at that time the decision was: hey, do we do we invest here at in, in, in McCormick, Weston here, or do we just shift everything over to that and then and kind of slowly it it was the rick houses were full, but stopped down production and slowly sold off all that inventory over that time. And so yeah, I mean the consumer was. Very different, uh, obviously. <laughs> and so we focused in on that. So yeah, it was, you know, there probably were a lot of people that did just want to get ultimately get rid of it and didn't think it was coming back. But thankfully, that didn't happen. And it kind of worked out for, I guess, our favor is that it's it's a pretty small complex. Uh, so when the current ownership group bought it, the bottling facility and and where all the all the brands and all the expansions were happening on that side, they're right there with the distillery right across mm. the street. And so just kind of selling it off or kind of shutting everything down didn't really save much or do much for it. It was just kind of, let's close everything up and just not even look in those buildings or use them as storage for conveyors or whatever we got to have around for the bottling lines. And so that that's what it became.
1: At this point, it's got to be kind of a... Uh a great blessing in disguise like man thank yeah. goodness we didn't follow the trend that literally everyone else did that you know sounds like from you know what the model was of like oh this is never yeah. coming back nobody's buying this will like just clear it get rid of it we're done here like let's go find some other way to make money hopefully
2: we we did find the ways to make money but it was uh thankfully still stayed there and you know we I, I heard a story. I, I wish I could have seen, honestly, the distillery when it was shut down, because it, it sounds like it became a mess after 30 years, <laughs> right? Uh, but they, where our current cistern is, where all the spring water filters in, they had just put like a giant steel plate across and covered it up and and whatever they did to cover it up. This thing is 15 feet across and it's, it's 45 feet deep. Or 35 feet deep holds 45,000 gallons of water, right? So, like, they had just capped it. And apparently, someone had their desk over that metal plate, and they didn't know what was underneath it. Like, you, there was a little hole, and you could kind of hear water running, but, like, you couldn't actually – you didn't know what it was. And then when they took that plate off and they exposed this well, it's like, holy crap, I was sitting over that, like, for – 10 years. And the
0: person's like, like what would have happened if what would have happened if I <laughs> fell?
2: Yeah. Like I wish I could have been around for stuff like that. Because un- unboxing everything again after that amount of time. I think I think it was pretty fun for a lot involved.
1: <laughs> That's what I was waiting on. Like, um
2: So what or who fell in and how bad was it? (laughs) They did completely empty that uh, just to make sure that no one had fallen in over the years and that there was nothing hidden at the bottom. And then it did refill. So we knew the well, the spring water was still going and we could empty the well and it'd be all good. So
0: the funny thing would have been at at the bottom of the well, it was like, hey, this is the original recipe in a time capsule (laughs) that Ben (laughs) Holiday put down there.
2: That
0: would be awesome. Yeah. Let's talk about this whiskey for a second. And Zeke, we could go back to other questions, but I am dying. I've had this. I, I spilled some of it. I refilled it. <laughs> I am ready to drink some of this whiskey and, and this uh, Missouri straight bourbon whiskey. It's bottled in bond. It's six years old, hundred proof, all that good fun stuff that you know about a bottled and bond whiskey. I have to say this nose is awesome though. It's sweet but it's almost like to me it's a lot of like cookies to it i'm just getting like as a fat kid it goes to stuff that i you know it's like cinnamon cookies with some caramel in there i would take a huge bite out of this nose i'm not being overly um gracious on this i am being a fat kid like this it smells really good. I don't know what you think, Zeke.
1: I just went straight taste on this one. Of course, you know, I, I'm
0: right. like talking all about the the nose, and you're like, yeah, I skipped it.
1: Man, you know, I've been kind of lazy lately. I, I don't know; it happens sometimes. <laughs> Plus, like, so I'm literally being also lazy, and I, I guess what I would call frugal. But I'm writing all my notes in the back of an envelope. And there's only so much space on one side. <laughs> So I was like, "All right, how much room do I really have to put down everything I'm probably going to think of with the uh, the ADD brain?" So I'm like, "Let's just go tasting notes and random questions."
0: Now it's not being lazy because that's making the guest sound like you don't give a shit. It is more Zeke has been challenging himself in different ways, and so there was a while where he was really relying on his nose more, and then I feel like he felt like he got too reliant on his nose, and he's now trying to overcorrect the process just that you don't think he's half-assing uh, I, it
2: oh no i i don't think that there's i i honestly i can kind of appreciate it because i so i don't ever at the distillery i don't when people are there doing tastings i don't ever give tasting notes or comments about it like you know i want everyone to experience it on their own but i go through a giant old spiel and go through everything right and uh there's sometimes when i just want to say you know what Guys, this is bourbon. Let's let's just sit and drink this and talk because I I don't want to do everything right now. So you know I, I get it. I get it fully. You know, go go to the taste. If you're if you're not not feeling the nosing, by all means. Well, Zeke,
0: what did you think about this when you <laughs> tasted it?
1: Man, these notes are almost hard to follow. Literally,
0: I can't wait. Buckle up.
1: <laughs> I thought it had a very sweet entry. Uh, definitely, I picked up some corn at first. And then also, what I decided was probably some rye grain that I would equate to like the little uh, round chips in Chex Mix. That's really about what hit pretty solid for me on there. I thought there was a spice at the back that didn't move down too much. Also, revisiting it, there was definitely a good layer of malt beneath the spice that kind of went from the mid to the back palate, circling back to the initial corn flavor. I thought that kind of definitely carries it the whole way through. I thought it was more like a a honey type tea product and or honeysuckle. If you're like, you know, had those as a kid and you break them off from the back, but it was also not too, you know, earthy or medicinal. It just seemed to have very natural flavoring. my final thought just to try and round everything out. I thought that the finish was much more like a like a dew coming off the ground. If the ground's your tongue, like the finish didn't stick in the back, it didn't burn, it didn't resonate, it stayed in the palate. To me, person is a good thing. Some folks want that like hug or back of the tongues. They, well, it's the finish. It's in the back. That's what it's got to be. Like. No, everything stayed super concentrated on the tongue and the palate. And again, I appreciated some folks, I guess, think textbook-wise it's not supposed to. Who knows?
0: For me, it's not even just the tongue. (laughs) Yeah, we know you didn't do good with the textbooks. For me, it's not like the tongue as much as it is the roof of my mouth. It's still in the front. It's still not going down my neck, but it's like rising. And I think it's for... For 15% rye, there is a good little note of pine in there, and you get that little kick of the the spice as well. So I mean it's like, wow, for 15% rye, I'm actually noticing that it's in there. But to boil down everything you said to something that is uh, a little simpler, because we know I'm a simpler guy than you, and it's a very complex bourbon for you know the price the funny thing is, is I say craft distillery, but you look at the video, like you guys are not operating like a craft distillery. And when I think of craft distillery, I mean, even to the warehousing, and I know you would be considered craft because of the volume, but the operation is a, (laughs) is not craft. And, but kudos. I mean, I think the wherewithal to keep this for six years to know that you got to get the flavor just right when you're reintroducing this brand and, and putting it out. I can understand why Brett Atlas came out of retirement for the, I mean, this is a very special pour and it's a very affordable pour on top of everything else. So just cheers.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's. Uh, we knew there was a few people who may have had the uh, the McCormick vodkas uh, of the world uh, in scenarios maybe where you shouldn't have or whatever. Uh, but no, it, it's. We we knew that reputation, but we wanted to. We knew we could make very good bourbon on site, and so we wanted to make sure we did it right. You get the one kind of first first chance at bringing it back, bringing the brand brand back, and so. Glad that we could make it to the six year mark. We always knew six to ten was kind of the sweet spot on site. And so that was that was the goal if we could. Uh, thankfully, thankfully, we could. Uh, and we we had the support of the ownership group to make that happen because it's not easy sitting on barrels and barrels of whiskey for that long. So well, and great. And, and it's been the taste profile kind of circling back to that. I think I might have mentioned I can't remember anymore what I put on that. But I might have mentioned, you know, like we started this process of coming up with this first release last November. And so uh, I have overthought every possible combination <laughs> of barrels <laughs> that we could do on this. And so, uh, you know, we, we wanted to come out strong with that that fifth floor. And, and there is a lot more of that oakiness that will come through with that. Right. But uh, we, we wanted that profile for the first release. Um, we just bottled batch two. Um, so the first release was 79% fifth floor, 21% first floor. Second one is 56% fifth floor, 44% first floor. So kind of still playing in those same two floors, but uh, changing the percentages up and changing up where they're coming from. So excited to see where that evolves over time and, and having fun with that.
0: So what do you think it tastes like now that you said you, you keep everything to yourself? I mean, uh, where are you at on this one?
2: that man you're putting me on the spot it honestly it, so i i've had it a few days uh in the last couple months and there's there's times when it it really does hit differently for me and so you know ultimately though i think with this or with any of the others that finish is what we're looking for and where we're trying to target and and yeah we're not going with the huge long Oak bomb or whatever type finish, but uh, we're we're looking at the complexity and the mouthfeel of this, and so I'm going to give you a non-answer on that. Uh, it tastes like a barrel that, or a batch that came from the fifth and first floors, heavy fifth. So, uh, and really that's what I'm so used to doing. It's not like you guys are tasting for the descriptors and you're thinking when you're tasting something is for that descriptors. And mine is more of a tasting for comparison of how is this maturing where it should be in this floor? How is it comparing to this floor? What's, what's going on with this, or is there any notes that are going to kind of detract or cause the batch to detract from where we're wanting it to go. So I'm, I'm more comparison-based tasting in general. So I'm not good with the tasting notes. So I'll just let you guys, you guys do that. I've seen so many different options that you... So
0: does heard. that take the fun out of it for you as a as a bourbon connoisseur? You can maybe do that with other bourbons now, but the one that's yours is too close to home. And it's like a football player that can't watch a game without <laughs> like dissecting like, okay, they're in a cover three. And I think they're in a cover three man and the, the offense is going to do this to it like you can't take it, yourself away
2: i mean that that's probably a, a decent comparison honestly like there are times when it's like man i wonder what it would have tasted like if i would have ended up going or we had different routes or whatever but i don't know i mean i still very much can enjoy just sipping on a glass i'm excited about the different offerings coming out because i i in general i think i do I'm an engineer. I I, like I'm very analytical in, in a lot of sense of that sense. And so I like the, the comparison between two different things in general. And so that doesn't necessarily mean it ruined it. Now I have batch one and batch two to compare and just pour a tiny little bit from each one every night and just go back and forth, you know, go from there. So It hasn't taken the fun out for sure, but uh, it does give you uh, a different perspective for sure.
1: Well, you know, you talk about the, you know, being able to hit the six year mark, not to say you dinged clear spirits by any means, but. John and I have said it plenty of times before, like that's where I would almost say like craft isn't really applicable in the sense of most crafts are just complete startups and don't even have any clear spirits to rely back on. And Mm -hmm. in the the day, that's what you can pump out in three to seven days that keeps your lights on, if not more. Yep. So, I mean, I'd almost think you guys are the inverse of, of kind of the normal model, but at the same time, like, Hey, we've got a really good clear spirits portfolio. Like, yes, we can tinker around, maybe put it out, maybe not. Maybe yeah. wait six or seven years. Either way, our business model most likely was originally built on not even doing this side of the equation. So now, you know, we're, we're okay, but if we're going to put something out, we know it's going to be what we want to be and we're not pressured to it. So I thought like it's got to be a good angle.
2: Yeah, that's for sure a unique aspect from where we came from. And yeah, we have a lot of value and family brands and we've been looking at increasing our, you know, kind of more premium offerings over the last... Decade plus and the bourbon was a, a part of that. And so, you know, we introduced a uh, 360 vodka as a, a more premium offering. Um we we introduced broker's or bought broker's gin, which had had one world's best gin. And so we we were playing around with those type of things, uh, you know, at the I think it was about the three or four year mark. We had tasted the bourbon. Hey, do we should it go or should it not? What where are we at? And you know, they are, our, our president came up with the idea for five farms, Irish cream, and it's a, a phenomenal, if you haven't had it, it is truly a phenomenal Irish cream. Um, and so that, that kind of helps when you have the ability to have other brands supporting it and, or introduce new brands while you're doing it as well to continue to support it and do different things. It for sure helps. And it puts us in a position that I'm, I won't argue, you know, a lot of places don't have the luxury of doing so. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The financial backbone, that allows innovation. I mean, hard to be that blessed,
0: <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. but you also, you know, the, the question I would have for you is you're also sharing the still with those other brands. So it's like, what is the plan then? Cause you have a hundred barrels that, that went into this batch and I'm assuming you probably, I, I need to look at the distiller's journal. Thankfully there's a distiller's journal there and batch two is up and you only have 55 barrels in uh, yeah, the so, second batch. So how is that going to work? Are you going to have enough time there with those stills and the other stuff that's, that's coming out?
2: Yeah. So apparently I need to double check, and proofread what that's <laughs> gets uploaded to the website. The first batch was actually only 56 barrels. I don't know how a 100 got on there. So yeah, first batch was 56, the second one was 55. From the the still and, and that aspect, you know, we we don't actually distill those products on site. Uh, we have partners just north of us in Craig, Missouri that we we go to for those. And so for the neutral spirits portion, that's not something that we're really all that concerned about. The bourbon is all we are doing on site. You know, that was made clear of this still is just for bourbon. Um, and that's that's all we do. And so that's that's kind of where where it will go and where it will continue to go. Long term planning, you know, we'll we'll figure out different releases. This is Ben Holiday. It's using that rye as the the secondary grain. We'll have a more widespread release maybe next year if it's ready for a weeded mash bill. Um and so that will be coming out as well. Um still determining all of that. So there's there's a handful of things uh coming up and we've been working on that kind of that long-term planning uh, of the distillery. So cooperage or cooperages involved? Yeah, yeah so we're Sourcing uh, barrels all from independent stave company in Lebanon, Missouri, and we're using a char three barrel barrel entry proof is 118. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the standard. We we had used independent stave previously and so immediately knew we wanted to go back to them. Then kind of going in 2019, the Missouri state legislature passed a regulation for Missouri bourbon uh, labeling. And so one of those requirements is you have to use Missouri barrels. <laughs> So we, we were already doing that. So, uh, we, we fit the bill there, but try
0: to get those tourism dollars there, you know, like pride of Missouri, you got to get a a whole bunch of stuff in there.
2: Yep, exactly. Yeah. We, we are fitting in with, uh, a lot of the other ones. And so yeah, it, it is unique. I mean, obviously Missouri, it's very much like Kentucky in that aspect of, yeah, we got the corn that's growing everywhere. We have the limestone spring water. That's not part of the requirement, but we have that here. Uh, we have the, the climate that is favorable to bourbon. And then throw in, we have white oak that's grown here that's used in bourbon barrels and made here. And so, yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of similarities between Missouri and, and Kentucky or wherever that you wouldn't typically expect, but they are there. So, yes, it was meant to kind of bring that tourism piece out.
1: The only other thing I had, maybe I guess from an engineering or like nerdy aspect, if you want to call it that, you threw out climate control kind of subtly. Any particular thoughts on uh if, if that's better or worse than a good old Mother Nature?
2: You know, I, I won't say better or worse. Uh, it's definitely, <laughs> obviously, cheaper if we're not using the climate control. <laughs> and I'll I'll point out a couple things with this question is so, you know, our in general, our Rick houses are actually smaller than Kentucky. Or Tennessee, they're in terms of barrel storage. So they're the same high seven stories, but they hold you know a fraction. I've seen what what are some of the rickhouses? Forty thousand barrels or whatever. We're at 12,000. and so it's it's a quarter of the overall footprint. And when you think about it like that. Your, your kind of ratio or your, your surface area of the walls to the ratio of the, the barrels is higher for us. Um, and also we have less thermal mass in that building. And so it doesn't stay as cold long or the, the changes can influence the bourbon quicker than what you would have if you were having a barrel in the middle of a brick house that could hold 40, 50,000 barrels. And so it, it's really just kind of a different structure overall. And so for us, it works. So, no, it's it, it not necessarily a dig at anyone. Just kind of.
1: No, I just throw it there for opinions. I yeah. Mean, we, we've all got them. And yeah. It's definitely yeah, becoming it's... more and more of a topic because I feel like anyone that's just building a new rick house, I haven't heard of many places that are building new ricks, but not using climate control. Yeah. And I still kind of wonder, you know, from if you use the science side of the background, we're like, well, where's the data? Where's the proof?
2: What tells you this is the smart yeah. thing to do? Yeah, I would agree with that. Like there's no for especially for someone like us where we're going from no climate control to if you were to do that, like it would be climate like that'd be a, a drastic change. And I would be hesitant to do that because, you know, it's part of the aging is sometimes it goes into the dormancy period over the winter and, and you're not getting extremely oaky in that allows you to age it for six or 10 years or whatever the case may be. And so, you know, you have the characteristics of each floor and of the rickhouses that if, if you, for us, if we did something like that, it, it just would be completely different. Wouldn't know how to do that. And so, yeah, there, there could be a difference and it's not to say one thing or another, but you know, if you, if you aren't going from that and then suddenly throw it in, I, I would, have a hard time knowing the quality of the bourbon. And we would struggle with that for sure. And that's thankfully, you know, we're, we're not doing that. And so we can put the floor information on the bottle and, and truly mean it. There is a difference between the floors, difference in climates, and it's just naturally occurring.
0: And I kind of feel like if you're a Jim Beam or a Jack Daniels or a Wild Turkey or a Heaven Hill and you're mass producing your staples... Yep. okay, yeah, you want to keep a similar profile and your batches are thousands of barrels and you don't yep. want it to be different, then great. But if you're putting out single barrels and you're, you want nuances, you want there to be changes between them, I feel like that's when you got to say, okay, there's no way I could do a climate controlled Rick for that.
2: Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Yeah, that's completely on point for what my my thought is as well.
0: Well, I know we're going into the wee hours of the night, which we tend to do, and and we record when the kids go to bed. But before we close out, you mentioned a weeded the website mentioned you might do single barrels. What else y'all got up your sleeve over at uh, the Holiday Distillery?
2: Now that it's out, it's like okay, now now what do we do? Like, there's a lot of things that we could we could start rolling out. So, yeah, you know, I'm hoping um that will and this is again a very small thing for local audience mainly only in the kansas city area to us but you know maybe for each each one of these batches we do we also have the uncut version of that and just barrel proof that you can buy and compare the barrel proof and compare versus the the bottled and bond one the weeded will be a big big portion single barrels And or store picks and or those type of things. That's, that's a thought as well. Um, And then, then ultimately a 10 year, 10 year variation of both this and the weeded. So handful of different items coming up. It's one of those things that thankfully I, I, this, it's a great company to work for. We let the taste drive and dictate what we're going to do and not, you know, just some spreadsheet where it's like, okay, yeah, we could maximize profit if we did this or that. So uh, you know, we'll we'll let the the taste really determine what we're going to do. So I don't know, a lot of fun things, a lot of different trends in the bourbon world uh, that we could we could follow, and and we'll see what we do from there.
0: Can you promise though, when you do other stuff, that you'll come back? Because I had a really for someone that doesn't like talking to people, you <laughs> do a very good job at it, and you are welcome here at Dad's Drinking Bourbon anytime
2: you want. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Anytime we have a have a new thing out, we'll you know we can set something up for sure. Perfect.
0: Kyle, thank you so much. Visit HolidayBourbon.com. What I also like on this website, there's the Distillers Journal, and I don't know if your marketing guy, bringing him back into the conversation. I don't know if he was a big fan of How I Met Your Mother, because there is this your line there where, have you met Kyle? So... There is a, yeah. uh, a great thing down there. Is he How I Met Your Mother uh, fan?
2: That wasn't him, but yeah, Noelle, uh, she, I think that was her. She's our PR, uh, yeah.
0: Noelle is great. I've been talking to Noelle. I'm going to have to ask her if she's a big How I Met Your Mother fan because...
2: I, I think that was her, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, have you met Kyle? The other fun fact about Kyle, he is going for his PhD, so congratulations. We wish you well in that. that I don't makes. know why you decided to go to Mississippi State over uh, it, it, Kentucky or Georgia, which is... Well, you know,
2: frankly, logistics. Uh, I didn't want to leave my job uh, or move or get divorced. So uh, I went with something that could be an online type of type of thing. And so uh, doing, yeah, doing Mississippi state. They have a, a doctorate there online and, and working on that. And we'll see where that, that lines out. I got to start working on dissertation type stuff, uh, soon. And I don't know, the thought of writing and dissertation is starting to get a little overwhelming, but I'm uh, going to look into data analysis. There's uh with 20 plus thousand barrels, there's, there's a lot of data and I want to be able to handle that better. So that's kind of the the focus. So yeah, that's the, the, I guess I'm a, I'm a K state guy. So I'm a big 12 guy, but now I guess I have a sec school that I don't know. It's yeah. I should have picked a a more prominent football school or something, but I don't know. Talking bourbon always interests people, right? Yeah, exactly.
0: No, we're just giving you hell because I graduated from Kentucky and Zeke graduated from Georgia. So we're kind of like, I don't know, like do people pay attention to Mississippi State?
2: Yeah, I, I, I don't think so. I, my boss actually graduated from Ole Miss. So yeah, he he doesn't really seem to care about Mississippi State either. So it's...
0: Zeke just gave me a look like, man, you're going to get hate mail. <laughs> I'm still bitter about what Mississippi State did to uh, Demarcus Cousins in the basketball. You know, they were they were pretty hard on him, and us yeah. cats, we don't forget. So it's yeah, all it's I- all in love mississippi state bulldogs i'm just saying it's all love don't worry i just had to get a shot in but kyle we wish you best in your pursuance of a higher education and and the art of distilling you did a hell of a job with this go to holidaybourbon.com. go to holiday 1856 on instagram all the other socials thanks again
1: i feel like you you. should spell it john because it's not like a holiday
0: Uh, h-o-l-l-a-d-a-y holiday that
1: wasn't necessary
0: <laughs> go ahead and find us on facebook at dad's tricky bourbon twitter at bourbon dad's instagram at dad's tricky bourbon please leave us an opener honest review just like we leave opener honest reviews about the whiskey we drink zeke where else can the folks find us
1: good old nashville tennessee
0: cheers y'all Ciao.